Joe Biden's the most powerful man in the world, most powerful human being. I want to be politically correct, all right? He is by far the single most powerful individual on the planet, and there is no question about it. So should we be worried about the most powerful man in the world? I am. Now, I don't like cheap shot analysis. I don't like a lot of the stuff that I hear on TV and radio about Mr. Biden or Mr. Trump or Mr. Obama or Mr. Bush. Never have. If I'm going to take somebody to task, criticize somebody, I'm going to do it in a fact-based way. But I will tell you, I am worried about Joe Biden. I do not think he is able to run this country. And I know it's quick, seven weeks, but let me back it up. So I'm a linear thinker. I'm a simple man. You all know that. But linear thinkers go from A to B to C to D in a logical way. In fact, when I speak to somebody, if they get emotional and illogical, so if their argument doesn't make sense and then they, when you challenge, they start to get upset and it's I, I don't continue the conversation. Now, on TV, when um, I was a younger man, um, I almost liked that because I could just go in with a hammer and boom. But now I'm an elder statesman <laughs> and I'm trying to give you information that's important to you and your family. So here we go. So there is no doubt that three of Biden's policies are hurting us directly right now, hurting every single American in the country. The most prominent of them is the southern border. And there's no question about what is going on down there. We have hundreds of thousands of foreign nationals surging the border, trying to get here because they know when they set one foot onto American soil, they get all kinds of stuff given to them things they could never get in their home country. And all I have to do is say, I want political asylum. And they're handed $1,100. They get health benefits. They get food stamps. They get everything and the promise of being an American citizen. Now, this is predictable. So the 80 million plus Americans who voted for Joe Biden last November had, if they were paying attention, and many of them weren't, they just hated Trump, but had to know if you were paying attention, this was going to happen. Because of two things that Mr. Biden himself said, rule number one. Raise your hand if, gover if your government plan would provide coverage for undocumented immigrants. You cannot let, as, as the mayor said, you cannot let people who are sick, no matter where they come from, no matter what their status, go uncovered. You can't do that. It's just going to be taken care of, period. You have to. It's a humane thing to do. And it is a humane thing to do, which is why all the emergency rooms in the United States are compelled to take anybody that walks in. However, that's not what Biden promised. He promised full health benefits paid for by the American taxpayer for every foreign national who enters this country illegally. You saw him, you heard him. Now, if you're living in poverty in El Salvador or Guatemala or Honduras, three countries I have been to. Remember, I covered the war in El Salvador. All right, I have spent time in that region. You don't have health benefits down there. No one has them. You get sick down there, you're on your own pretty much. 
unless you know some medical person. There are a few clinics run by Catholic charities, most of them, but you're in dire trouble. So if your child has a condition, if your parents are sick, you get here, Joe Biden's going to give you free, free medical coverage if you're a foreign national. So why wouldn't you try to get here? Why wouldn't you? I don't blame the migrants. I've said that for decades. I don't blame them. Many of them are desperate people. They live in violent places. They literally can't get ahead. So you're going to come to America if you can. So under President Trump, we had a policy that made it difficult to get in here. Biden has dismantled the whole thing. And on top of that, he has said this. I am going to make a commitment in the first 100 days. I will send a immigration bill to the United States Senate with a pathway to citizenship for over 11 million undocumented people in America. How noble is that? Isn't that noble? And there are more than 11 million undocumented people in America. Biden has no blank and clue how many there are. All right. There'll be a census coming out. Maybe we'll get an idea. But it's far more than 11 million. And now with hundreds of thousands coming, and that number will go into the millions by fall, all the people who do get here have a shot at becoming an American citizen. Now, they're not going to be able to vote immediately. They're not going to be uh, crowned. You're an American. You have to go through hoops. But if you are living in a third world country, anywhere in the world, and you can get here, there's a darn good chance that you can become an American citizen and get all of the entitlements that poor Americans get instantly for the entitlements. So my logic, all right, my analysis capabilities says to Joe Biden, if I were sitting across and interviewing him, is that what you want? Do you want millions, literally, of people all over the world to come here? Pretty much unregulated? Because right now, they got 1100 bucks. you get on a bus, you go where you want, and government doesn't know where you are. Government doesn't track you. They don't know if you have COVID. They don't know what to do you're doing. And we have seen a substantial problem with criminal aliens. We've seen it. It's in every major city. So I would say with all due respect, Mr. President, is this what you want? Don't you understand that open borders are going to lead to societal chaos on every level? Don't you understand that American resources are stretched now to the limit? And you want to add millions and millions and millions of foreign nationals to that equation? Government can't afford that. Country can't afford it. Now, that's all logical, right? Linear A, B, C, D. It's Biden's fault. Biden did it. He's the president. 80 million plus voted for. And this is what you get. Okay, this is what you get. Now, Biden's not going to be in there. He's got three years plus. He's not going to get reelected. He may not even make the three. I don't think he knows what he's doing. And I'll back that up in a minute. 
But first, the media doesn't want to cover the southern border because it knows the catastrophe that is unfolding. So last night, despite all of the conservative news channels and news media and talk radio, all of that, they're going heavy border, 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 border. The anti-Trump people, it's all border all the time. The word is out. It's not being squelched. CNN didn't cover the border at all. From 7 to midnight, they got five hours mention it. All right? Now, that puts every debate on whether CNN is a news channel to rest. It's not. It's an entertainment channel. It's a progressive channel. MSNBC, in five hours, spent 32 seconds on the border. Brian Williams mentioned it for 32 seconds. Five hours. NBC News, Lester Holt, 17 seconds. So NBC is in the same category as CNN. It is not a news operation any longer. Huntley Brinkley and all that, gone. And they're not coming back. NBC is not coming back. Comcast, the corporation that owns NBC, has made a decision. We can make much more money if we are a progressive channel. And that's what they're going to be, a progressive organization. ABC News, which is the number one nightly news, David Muir, didn't cover it at all. Didn't mention it. But they spent a lot of time on Meghan and Harry. A lot, a lot of time. David Muir's, he wishes he got that interview. Okay? Couldn't get to the border, though. Mm-mm, no. CBS Evening News, the only newscast that did a, what they call a package, two minutes, 25 seconds. Uh, they did a report focused on unaccompanied minors and housing for the minors. It's a big CBS um, deal. They like that story. All right, some stats. Um, in the last... Two weeks, in the last two weeks, my unaccompanied migrant children detained by the Border Patrol have tripled. Let me repeat, last two weeks, unaccompanied minors surge in here, number has tripled. All right, there are more than 8,000 unaccompanied minors in shelters right this minute. Why? Because the miners and the coyotes, the smugglers who who bring them in, know once they're established, the miners are established, and their name is in the computer bank, their parents, grandparents, brothers and sisters can all come. That's why that's happening. Okay, so the Border Patrol certainly knows that uh, hundreds of thousands of people are trying to get in here, and the Border Patrol can't handle it. So the guy in charge of this is Alejandro Mayorkas. He is the head of the Department of Homeland Security. He's not in charge of the Border Patrol, but the Border Patrol is under him. He is a total moron. If you've listened to him and, and all of that, oh, we don't have a crisis. This is what Mayorkas says. No, no, it's no crisis. It's a challenge. So why is it a challenge? It wasn't a challenge when Trump was there. He had stopped it almost completely by having the return to Mexico policy for asylum. But now we're having, but, but Mayorkas doesn't, he won't admit that it's a crisis. Biden won't say anything. And Jen Psaki, you know, forget it. They're not saying a word because they know they're not going to be pushed. But 
Mayorkas has a problem that he's got to deal with. So he's asked for volunteers in the Department of Homeland Security. So if you work for them in Seattle or Minneapolis or St. Louis or anywhere, he is asking you to go to the border to help the Border Patrol. <laughs> okay? Because they're overwhelmed. It's incredible. Absolutely incredible. Everything is expensive these days, you know that. The government is printing trillions of dollars in consumer prices higher than ever. If the government continues its printing and spending, the dollar could continue its freefall and lose its coveted role as the world reserve currency. Let's hope that doesn't happen. But there are a few things you can do right now. American Hartford Gold can show you how to protect your money, your retirement, your hard-earned savings against inflation by helping you diversify a portion of your portfolio into physical gold and silver. Start with a short phone call, and they can have physical gold and silver delivered right to your door or put inside your 401k or IRA. So please call or text them right now. Tell them Bill O'Reilly sent you. Call 877-444-GOLD, 877-444-GOLD, or text GOLD to 65532. Again, that's 877-444-GOLD, or text GOLD to 65532. Did you realize there are now 11,300 foreign national minors' children? in the custody of the U.S. government, 11,300? I mean, that's just stunning. Stunning. So these kids are here because the cartels in Mexico are smuggling them in with the arrangement the children will be able to bring their fathers and mothers and grandmothers and grandfathers and brothers and sisters in after them. And they will, according to the Joe Biden open immigration plan. See, it's a mistake to say it's an open border. It is in essence, but it's open immigration. That's what's happening. If you come in here on a visa and overstay, there's nobody going to track you down. In fact, ICE arrests in February down 60% from January. So you remember that the inauguration day was in January. 60% because President Biden has said to, or his advisors have said to the Homeland Security people, don't arrest anybody. No, it's not what we want to do. Don't do that. And they're not. 60% in 30 days. And the unintended consequence of that, or maybe the intended consequence, is that hundreds of thousands of foreign nationals will stream into this country before June. Hundreds of thousands. When you have 11,300 unintended, unattended minors, you know that's no accident. It's not these kids saying, hey, I want to come to America, so I'm going to walk 200 miles or 500 miles to get there. They're not doing it. It's the pipeline. Okay, so I'm a simple man. You all know that. And uh, my question to Joe Biden is very, very simple. Mr. Biden, your immigration policy has led to hundreds of thousands of people coming here, including 11,300 minors. 
who does that help? Is there one person in the country or on the planet? Who does it help? Now, there is one group helped by the Biden immigration policy. One, the Mexican drug cartels. They're making a ton of money because they control who comes to the border. And you got to pay them. If you don't pay them, they kill you. They're making millions of dollars. Okay? Now, do you think Joe Biden knows that? I don't. I'm not giving him a pass, by the way. I just don't think that that man has any clue about what this immigration policy is going to lead to and has already led to. I don't think he knows the stat that there's 11,300 unattended kids here from other countries. I don't think he knows that. I could be wrong. Maybe I am. But if you ask his spokesperson about all this, here's what you get. Roll it. And on immigration, uh, you said you wanted to stay away from labels. I know the, the or DHS secretary has not wanted to call it a crisis, but instead referred to it as a challenge. Mm-hmm. But right now, since it is 3,200 unaccompanied migrant children, according to documents from Monday, that's higher than the peak of the 2019 border crisis when it was around 2,600 then. Well, first, one of the reasons is because there, we have a different policy than the last administration. We're not turning kids away at the border, unaccompanied children. Um, we're also, of course, not ripping them from the arms of their parents. And so we know, and we, that we knew, we know there is going to be an increased number of kids coming across the border. There are several steps, as we've talked about a little bit, that we're working to address that. Ripping the kids from the arms of their parents. Okay, so if you knew it, Miss Saki, why didn't you have a plan in place to deal with it? Why? Now, the stats the CNN reporters cite are just for a day. Thousands of kids in a day. All right? The overall stats, as I said, are more than 11,000. But, no, no, we're, we're working on it. You know, we're working on it. You don't put a policy in place if you don't know what to do after the policy is launched. That's called incompetence, okay? Oh. All right, so the media now has to cover the story, as I told you earlier this week when they were ignoring the story. They have to cover it because it's getting so big. So last night, um, CNN uh, spent 12 minutes and five hours. 12 minutes on the story in five hours. MSNBC didn't cover it at all. So NBC News basically saying to the American people, we're not a news organization anymore. This is Comcast, okay? We're we're just not. We're just not going to cover any story that's going to make anybody that we like look bad. Um, Fox News, 20 minutes they spent on it. The networks, uh, David Muir finally figured it out. Two minutes, 12 seconds on the nightly news last night. NBC, Lester Holt, a minute 36. They didn't cover it on Monday night. Neither of them. CBS did cover it on Monday. They didn't cover it last night, which is all right. I mean, they did a package on Monday. You don't want to be repetitive. All right, so let me just sum this lead story up. I'm worried about Joe Biden. I'm worried about him personally. I don't think he is functioning in the job the way he should. And I'm worried absolutely for the country and the world, because the most powerful man in the world seems to me to be befuddled at best and 
in cognitive decline at worst. I'm Mike Slater from the podcast Politics by Faith. This is a crazy time in our country. It's stressful, a lot of anxiety, and it's going to get worse. And I realized that one of the things that helps me take away the stress is realizing that there's nothing new under the sun. So on this podcast, we take the news of the day and we run it through the Bible and other periods in history to realize that we've been through this before and we can rise above again. Politics by Faith, anywhere you listen to the podcast. Politics by Faith. Derek Chavin, uh, age 44 years old, uh, is literally fighting for his life in this trial. Now, as everybody in the country knows, there's videotape, and we're not going to show you it because it's just inflammatory. We'll show you some stills of, of Mr. Chavin kneeling on George Floyd's neck for seven minutes and 45 seconds. And that led to his death, say the prosecutors in the state of Minnesota. The defense will say that Mr. Floyd uh, was under the influence of powerful drugs, which is true according to the toxicology report. And that was why he was killed. All right. So I'm not going to try the case. That's ridiculous. But many millions of Americans have tried the case and convicted Mr. Chavin. He's guilty. You know that. Everybody knows that. That's why the governor of Minnesota called in the National Guard already. Because if Chavin is not convicted of second degree murder, if he's convicted of manslaughter, the lesser charge, there will be violence in the United States. And everyone knows it. Where is that violence coming from? I will tell you in a moment. But first, this trial uh, is going to be televised on court TV. It's expected to take six weeks. Uh, after they get uh, the charges sorted out, uh, they will begin to select a jury. And then uh, that's going to take a while. This case, by the way, should not be, should not be heard in Hannibal County. Um, it should have been moved to northern Minnesota or even out of state. You're never going to get an objective jury. And once they see the video of Officer Chavin kneeling on Mr. Floyd's neck, it's almost impossible to think anybody would acquit the officer, particularly when they'll hear the audio of Mr. Floyd saying, I can't breathe, calling for his mother. It's, it's horrifying. So I know that in my mind that the officer will be convicted, but maybe of manslaughter because of the narcotics in the system of Mr. Floyd at the time of the confrontation. Um, but again, I am now speculating. I don't like to do that, but I'm giving you the outlines, the parameters of what is likely to happen. Um, the three other officers involved who stood by and allowed this to happen, they're all being charged together. That will happen after Chavin's trial. And they are charged with aiding and abetting second degree murder and second degree manslaughter. So the prosecutors are, are you know, it, that's a felony, that, that's jail time. Anybody convicted in this case will go to, go to prison. So uh, Derek Chevin is 44 years old. Uh, he's a high school dropout, served in the armed forces, got his GED, uh, joined the force in Minneapolis in uh, 2001 at age 25, 19 years at the department, um, and his life is ruined, no doubt about it. Um, 
He's being represented by uh, a lawyer named Eric Nelson, who is uh, basically a police lawyer. All right, and the prosecution um, is, uh, you know, I would say they're pretty sophisticated. Prosecution here is, you know, it's going to be a fair trial in the sense that both attorneys will come armed with the facts. The wild card is Ben Crump, who we know very well, and he is representing the Floyd family. So he will be the provocateur here. He will be the one who tells uh, the nation every night what he thinks, what the family thinks. And believe me, uh, this is going to be pretty rough. So everyone is expecting violence in this case unless a quick verdict comes in second degree murder. Even then, even then, there still might be violence. We don't know. But if it comes in manslaughter, as I said, the lesser charge and you can bank on it. Now, how do I know this? Because I've been investigating this. So there's an article in the Guardian far-left newspaper, uh, and the author was uh, Um Dulat Ajasa, a protester in Minneapolis. And Mr. Ajasa says, quote, in the article, but Minnesota remembers, this is uh, last summer, there is no going back to normal for us. As I drive on the icy streets I spent the summer marching on, I feel a sense of nostalgia and foreshadowing. I'm certain that in the coming weeks, I will find myself marching on these streets again, unquote. So it's basically telling everybody, look, the protests are already organizing. Now, here's the key to this. It's not the Black Lives Matter Global Foundation out of California that's doing this. It's the local BLM chapters. So in your town, you may not see violent demigrations, but New York City, San Francisco, L.A., Portland, Oregon, Seattle, Minneapolis, Chicago, you know what's going to happen. Now, the governor has called out the National Guard already, Governor Tim Walz, and um, he knows that there are very few police left in Minneapolis. I mean, it's shocking what has happened there, but the police are gone. Many of them have quit. They've been downsized. There are less than 700 police officers now in the city of Minneapolis, down from about 900 this time last year. 700 police officers cannot control anything. All right. And crime in Minneapolis is crazy through the roof because there's no police. And the police that are there are demoralized and shocked. And the mayor is a total idiot. He doesn't know what he's doing. Okay, so. That's the scenario. We are going to cover the trial, but we are not going to speculate. We'll tell you what happens. I expect testimony in about 10 days, maybe, to begin. Um, and we're keeping an eye on all of that. So I want to talk to Jack Brewer. You may know the name. Uh, Mr. Brewer is a former NFL player. I played for the Vikings, Giants, Eagles, and Cardinals. And he is a restaurant owner in uh, Minneapolis. Uh, he's coming up from Coral Springs, Florida, which is a good place to be in the middle of March if uh, you live in Minneapolis. So your restaurant, Cowboy Jack's, uh, you lost that restaurant in demonstrations, correct? Well, we didn't completely lose it, but we were definitely affected. You know, we had uh, broken windows, folks breaking in, stealing liquor, uh, and, you know, completely vandalized. Uh, but it's been tough, obviously, in, in that market with uh, all the shutdowns and 
uh, you know, we had to cut hundreds of employees that we had through our numerous restaurants. Uh, so it, it uh, the effects of, of Floyd and then and the coronavirus, you know, you put all that that wrap together. Uh, it's been a tough time. Now, you are an influential voice in the Twin Cities, being a former NFL player, restaurant owner, entrepreneur. Um, you're a, a reverend, too. Is that correct? Yeah, I preach the gospel uh, loud and proud. Yes, sir. All right. You're, in, you're on the commission uh, of social status of black men and boys. When the uh, riots started in Minneapolis, did anybody listen to you? Did any? I know you were in the media and you were calling for calm. Did anybody listen or were you just overwhelmed? Uh, it was pretty overwhelming. You know, I, I came out, you know, right away asking for calm uh, and tried to be a voice of reason uh, to many and you know, it's, it's difficult, uh, Bill, when people's emotions get into place. You know, I think you'd agree that no one wants to see a man knee on his neck. Uh, that's just a horrific sight, uh, no matter what he did or the situation. Uh, but, you know, my whole thing was to destroy the city uh, in which I already knew that Minneapolis had the highest uh, black unemployment rate in the country uh, due to Democratic policies uh, from on Omar and, you know, the mayor, as you mentioned before, uh, this place needed help. African-Americans uh, in the city of Minneapolis were already struggling. So to go in and then start to burn up uh, your cities and allow folks to come in and burn up these small businesses, I knew it would bring devastation. And then to go further than that uh, and start talking about defunding the police uh, and getting rid of the police force that are there really to protect and serve all people, but particularly the most vulnerable, the most underserved, those are the folks that need the police. Uh, and so I just thought it was all a, a twisted effort. Uh, and, and folks think that they get on their, you know, their, their woke pedestal and, and they speak their social justice. Uh, but if you're destroying property and, the, and you're creating lawlessness, uh, that's never going to be the answer for justice. And uh, you, you can't have uh, justice without peace. Uh, and so now that was the philosophy, and, and that was, those were the words that I was speaking throughout this entire uh, situation. Now, how many how many people did you employ in your restaurants at the height? Uh, close to a thousand. You know, in the okay. summers, get up to, to nearly people in all so of our restaurants. Yeah. And, and many of them are people of color, right? Definitely, of course. We have all races. You know, folks yeah, from all okay. over the world. So, so when the riots happen, and restaurants like yours get vandalized, and and, and businesses go down. I always say it's up to the people in the town to say and mass stop, but you have the opposite. You have this surge of violence and this surge of anger coming in. People like you get hurt, people lose jobs. It, I know it's irrational and it, it's, it's an uh, emotional response to that terrible video. I understand that, but in the aftermath, we haven't seen any, uh, you know, demonstrations from the folks in Minneapolis saying that the mayor is a is an idiot, that defunding the police puts all of everybody who lives in the town in danger. We haven't seen any of that. Why don't the folks rise up? You're right. You know, I'll even take it a step further, Bill. Um, and I'll say that, you know, the mayor of Minneapolis, uh, he's on the neck of all the youth across, black youth across the city. I'll say that. The teachers union in Minneapolis is, is they have their knee on the necks of all the black kids uh, that reading and math proficiency levels uh, are, are, are held down. Uh, and so let's keep it real. If we want to talk about being on the necks of people, uh, we have to talk about these 
uh, left-leaning uh, liberal policies uh, that are just completely annihilating opportunity for African-Americans. I mean, you see African-American unemployment rate now is surging while all other demographics are, 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 are dropping. And that's because they abandoned the Trump policies. Uh, and now they're coming with liberalism. They're locking down uh, these cities, which employ uh, African-Americans, particularly the inner city areas. And no one will rise up and say a word about it. Uh, well, I don't know why you know, they won't. You know, that's the that's the missing ingredient, Jack. That if unless the folks say enough and unless they vote out people like Jacob Fry, unless they right. vote him out and we got the Blasio in New York, but it doesn't seem to be happening. Last word. It, it doesn't. Um, you know, I always call for prayer, uh, but we need, you know, we need action at this point. You know, I'll continue to speak out loud, Bill. I get slammed in the media for having the perspective that I have, but as long as we can get on here and tear up and destroy a city based on skin color. Let's make that conversation balanced. Uh, let's go after the, the institution, the real institutional racism. And that happens uh, with these liberal policies that are, are forcing these children into oppression, man. Uh, keep, keep on raising these issues. I look forward to watching the coverage of this George Floyd case. You know, I just hope people uh, can, can bring some common sense uh, to this whole equation because it could get ugly. Uh, if we are left, well, if we allow right. are, you left. Going, are you going back to Minnesota soon? Uh, yeah, I'll actually be back in a few weeks here. Um, you know, hopefully, you know, God willing, the, the, the weather gets a little bit better and, and this this case doesn't go up in flames. But I'll be I'll be watching it closely and covering it. Uh, actually, one of my dear friends and close attorneys uh, pretty close to the case. Uh, and so I'll be keeping keeping abreast of everything All going right, on. Jack. So if you need we'll check back with you, we really appreciate your time. Thanks very much for helping us out tonight. 10 best states in America. How about those? You know what they are? I didn't. All right, so uh, U.S. News and World Report, a bankrupt magazine, <laughs> does this every year. Annual ranking of all 50 states, the 10 best, based on healthcare, education, economy, infrastructure, opportunity, fiscal stability, crime and corrections, natural environment. Okay, ready? All right, here are the 10 best. The best state in the union is Washington State, according to U.S. News and World Report. What you don't know about Washington State is it's two states. All right, it's the eastern part, which is traditional and runs very well, and people have a very high quality of life. And then the western part, which is Seattle and Olympia and the peninsula up there, which is absolute chaos. But you can live well in Washington State if you can take the rain. All right, the second one is Minnesota. Again, their major city, Minneapolis, is burnt down. You can live well in Minnesota if you can take the cold. It is freezing there. Okay? Uh, Utah, third. I, I've been to Utah, but I don't know much about the infrastructure there. It is a rural state primarily. Salt Lake City is not a major hub got a basketball team, but you move to Utah, you got to like the outdoors. Same thing in New Hampshire. New Hampshire is a rural state. I know New Hampshire very well, very nice place to live, but it's cold. Idaho, same situation. Outdoor state, easy to live there, traditional state. Then Nebraska. Nebraska is a divided state, but there's opportunity in Nebraska. You can make money in Nebraska, all right? It's um, got a good lifestyle. Virginia, going deep blue now. In Virginia, deep blue. Um, I like Virginia. Commonwealth has got a lot of got the mountains, got the ocean, 
although not beaches in the Tidewater area. Wisconsin, um, again, Wisconsin is a two states, traditional rural, very far left, urban. Massachusetts, listen, my home was in Massachusetts. I loved it there. I loved it there. But that's Elizabeth Warren. Okay, so the politics are crazy. But Massachusetts got everything. And uh, Florida is 10. Florida is on the ascent. But you got to take the heat. You know, five months of the year, it's hot. It never cools down. So those are the 10. Tomorrow we'll give you the 10 worst states, according to U.S. News and World Report. So, Disney, I want to go back to this. We've, we've reported it before, but it's so uh, jarring because everybody knows these vehicles. So Disney is putting out a con. you got to know this. Now, Disney is a real troubled company. I mean, it really is, if you examine it. So they say that um, two of their main properties, Dumbo, the elephant, and Peter Pan, beloved by kids everywhere in the world, can no longer be accessed by children under seven because of the cancel culture. Now, my question to Disney is what kid under seven accesses anything? See, if you use an adult account, and how Disney would know, I don't know, you can access Dumbo and Peter Pan. You have to pay them. Though Disney's not cutting, because the seven-year-old's not paying them. So this is a con. But the Disney uh, noble people, the executives, this is Iger and all these people, they wanted to get it out to the, we know there was racism and, uh, you know, questionable things in our product. Now, there was racism in Dumbo. There was. One of the main characters is Jim Crow. Come on. My thing is, edit it out. Okay. If you make movies in the 1920s, 30s, 40s, and 50s, you're going to have stuff like this. Snip it. But no, no, they want a virtue signal. Now, Peter Pan, apparently the problem with Peter Pan is that it portrays Native Americans in a stereotypical manner. That's Tiger Lily. I always thought Tiger Lily was a good role model for girls. She was Peter Pan's ally against the evil Captain Hook, who was a white guy. I like Tiger Lily. What? But no, no, no. Because Tiger Lily did Indian things. That's very typical. So if you're seven, you can't order up Peter Pan. But your dad and mom can and pay the 10 bucks or whatever they want. Oh. All right. Here's the story of the day. Ready for the story of the day? Okay. So Piers Morgan quits his show in Great Britain. He's co-hosting a morning show because he slammed Meghan Markle and people didn't like it or what. I don't even know Piers Morgan. I mean, I think I met him once, but I don't even remember. Anyway, he's gone. Gone. He walks off his show and they don't want him back and he's gone. So The View, of course talks about this and my name comes up roll it before i even start that i want to clear up that you and i walked off the set because bill o'reilly said something extraordinarily bigoted and we did not want to sit there yes. with him. the situation is completely yes. different here so let's just yeah. be clear 
Um, I was making you know, a the joke. Monarchy, Sorry, my I bad. Think... No, no, it wasn't that. I just want to make sure everybody understands. Everybody understands that you're a radical loon. That's what everybody understands. I didn't make any bigoted statement. I didn't do anything like that. All right, this was in the year 2010. An imam in New York City wanted to build a mosque on the site of the Twin Towers. Okay? I said, quite rationally and correctly, that was inappropriate. All right? I said, you don't build a Benihana at Pearl Harbor. It's not the right thing to do. But if the imam wants to build a mosque two blocks away, I will help the imam build the mosque, but not on the site of the attack on 9-11. So I went on The View, and here's what happened. Go. And let me break this to you. 70% of Americans don't want that mosque down there. Where's so don't give me the wee business. I want to see that You want to bet on that? You want to bet? I'll show you that poll in a minute. Right? Is that Americans don't want it. 70% don't want it. But well, why is that? But why aren't no, we saying it's inappropriate? Why is it inappropriate? Well, 70% of families died. killed this on 9 11. No. Right? Oh my God. That is. Muslims oh didn't kill us on 9 11? Is that what you're saying? Excuse you're me, extremists. What religion were they in? What religion was what they are. Mr. McVeigh? Mr. McVeigh was an extremist. I'm telling you, 70% of the country. Okay, and uh, Piers Morgan, I think, was back in the green No, it's a joke. All right, so my thesis was that Muslims, terrorists, the jihadists, the al-Qaeda's, all practitioners of Islam killed 3,000 Americans on 9-11. Is that not true, historically? And that's why it's inappropriate to build a mosque on the site of the Twin Towers, just as... Japan attacked Pearl Harbor, killing hundreds of U.S. naval personnel and civilians. And that's why you don't build a Japanese restaurant there. Is this crazy stuff? All right. Now, that was way before the cancel culture was even thought of. But the fact that yesterday, Ms. Behar, who remains in my prayers said that I made an extraordinarily bigoted statement. My statement was absolutely 100% true. But because she's a loon, she can believe what she wants to believe and walk off. And you know, that was the greatest thing that she walked off. I love that because I got more airtime and I have to deal with her. Okay. I got some mail and a good final thought. Back in a moment. Okay, my final thought today is about entitlement. People on this planet who believe that they are um, special. Now, I was brought up in the 50s and 60s when nobody believed that because we were coming off the Great Depression in the 30s, World War II in the 40s. Life was hard. People were grateful for the little they had. My parents were grateful for the little they had out in Levittown, New York. But now we have people wanting all of this stuff. Gimme, 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 gimme. All right. Gimme. And Meghan Markle looked a little entitled, did she not? In that interview, a little entitled. 
So this morning, um, you know, breakfast is a little chaotic in the O'Reilly house. Um, and uh, one of the urchins, I go, uh, I got some, uh, got some toast and fruit for you. So the urchin looks up and goes, you feed me like a prisoner in a penitentiary. <laughs> I said, what? It's fresh fruit. All right. There's toast. There's exotic jam. We would, you know, if you want something, you want pancakes, go cook them. But no, no, no. You feed me like a prisoner. <laughs> it's busy here in the morning. <laughs> so anyway, I had a few laughs about it, man. I made fun of the urchin, and you know, he got it. He got it. I said, you know what? A little self-reliance goes a long way here. If you have an entitled point of view, and we all know people who do, if you think you are owed something by life, by the royal family, by me at breakfast time, you think that, you're going to be disappointed. See you tomorrow.